and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. Earth Day 2020 saw reports of less industrial pollution, less car pollution, less noise pollution, and even less human litter. Hell, even India reported pollution so low that blue skies were seen over some cities for the first time in over 10 years. But all of that just raised the obvious question. How will we survive if it takes an existential pandemic to save our planet? Sure enough, with life returning to normal, so too are the levels of pollution. Ironically, most notable in this respect is litter from the different types of personal protective equipment that people used to survive the pandemic. But this returned normal obliges me to restate my abiding lament, which is that much of the perennial fight to combat climate change amounts to little more than politicians just blowing hot air. Truth be told, I have written far too many commentaries on this topic to count. Unfortunately, they seem to have only given critics cause to dump me in a cauldron with so-called heretics. And this for the cardinal heresy of trying to temper increasing alarms about climate change with calming facts about environmental protection and conservation. Therefore, on behalf of all climate heretics of my stripe, let me clarify for the umpteenth time that we acknowledge climate change as a fact. We simply note that, by definition, it cannot be an existential threat. After all, climate prophets of doom have been warning about this threat for nearly 50 years. So if they're not careful, they might become no more credible than Christian prophets of doom who have been warning about Armageddon for nearly 2,000 years. And don't get me started on the convenient climate nomenclature which saw global warming rebranded to climate change when the inconvenient truth of refreezing polar ice caps indicated that Far from global warming, the planet was entering another cycle of global cooling. I commented on this phenomenon in Return of the Polar Ice Caps, I told you so, on September 12, 2013. This vindicated the common sense understanding I had of the science of climate change from the outset which is that global warming and cooling are natural phenomena that have occurred in cycles since the beginning of time. Hat tip to Michael Crichton for validating my understanding in his thrilling docudrama State of Fear, which I duly cited in Global Warming or Just Hot Air on February 16, 2005. This is why the notorious climate gate scandal 
came as no surprise. Perhaps you recall that it involved prominent scientists manipulating their findings to justify their hot air about global warming, um, uh, that is climate change. I duly quipped in climate change, as much fraud as junk science, on February 2, 2010. But I cannot resist sharing my abiding contempt for the pharisaic sanctimony which so many proselytizing prophets of climate change have exhibited over the years. For on the one hand, they continually breathe fire of damnation on anyone who refuses to say Amen to their alarmist gospel, while on the other hand, they do more to contribute to climate change with their gas-guzzling private jets and fancy cars, to say nothing of their electricity-hoarding mansions, than entire populations of some poor countries. Frankly, I couldn't be more indignant at rich environmentalists who seek absolution for their environmental sins by purchasing carbon credits or offsets, in the same spirit that rich Catholics once sought absolution for their moral sins by purchasing papal indulgences. But I digress. The point is that, even though I sympathize with initiatives like the famous Green New Deal, I believe there are many global issues that present a greater existential threat than climate change and many of those issues stem from chronic privation and strife in poor countries. Yet it seems lost on people like U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mistress of the Green New Deal, that the new technologies they're championing to combat climate change will only widen the gap between rich and poor countries. Apropos of which, you can bet the Latinos migrating to America and Africans migrating to Europe couldn't care less about climate change. And this planet comprises many more people like them fleeing a dystopian climate of starvation, violence and pestilence than people like AOC fashioning a utopian climate of renewable energy, electric cars, and biodegradable products. Meanwhile, not for nothing, <laughs> as my buddy Noel might say, this planet has demonstrated time and again a remarkable ability to save itself, and this despite recurring natural and man-made disasters. Indeed, as indicated earlier, Mother Nature demonstrated this across the globe just last year, to the apparent amazement even of climate scientists. But she has her limits. Tim Lydon dramatized this in the subtitle to his March 2019 essay for Hakai magazine titled Wounded Wilderness, the Exxon Valdez oil spill 30 years later. And I quote, On the surface, Prince William Sound appears to have recovered. But you don't have to dig too deep into the soil or into memories 
to find the spill's lingering effects. End quote. Still, the whole point of Earth Day, when it was inaugurated in 1970, was to promote environmental practices that helped the planet heal itself. Those practices have become so routine and universal that the symbolic replenishing of Earth's natural resources now seems trite, if not contrived. Exhibit A would be that symbolic tree which former President Trump and French President Macron made such a show of planting at the White House to mark Earth Day 2018. It died soon thereafter. Nonetheless, to hear activists talk about climate change, you'd think it was Al Gore who transformed public consciousness in this regard just years ago. This, of course, is because of the remarkable success of his one-man crusade spreading the gospel of his environmental Bible, Earth in the Balance. But Earth Day ushered in conservation and greening trends that have led to cleaner air, more potable lead-free water, and a much less polluted environment. Whereas, for all his prophesying, Gore has had practically no impact. In fact, Agence France-Presse quotes him readily conceding in an interview on April 20, 2008 that, despite its popularity, his Oscar-winning film did little to advance the fight against climate change. That's why this annual celebration of, and deference to, Earth's natural wonders should be distinguished from Gore's convenient truths about climate change. Incidentally, hailing from the Caribbean as I do, I found particularly irresponsible his alarmist claim about a melting Antarctica or Greenland causing a sea level rise of up to 20 feet in the near future. That was over 15 years ago. So needless to say, if Gore knew what he was talking about, the Atlantis would not be a luxury resort in the Bahamas. Instead, it would be part of a cemetery spanning the Caribbean Sea, where the Bahamas and so many other island nations used to be. More to the point, I have always urged Caribbean leaders to appreciate that the best way we can help combat climate change is to stop islanders and cruise liners from dumping waste in our Caribbean Sea. This, instead of having our leaders go along at global summits, like barnacles on the backs of whales. In other words, the adage, clean up your own backyard, sums up the pragmatic and parochial nature of the conservation and anti-pollution measures I've always championed. Uh, this has spared me the hand-wringing and guilt-tripping that characterize the concerns so many have about climate change. Uh, but I sense I'm tooting my own horn a little too much. So here are just four people who have done and are doing far more to save the planet than this self-righteous 
self-promoting bore. Uh, a gore, that is. <laughs> One. Gaylord Nelson, the politician and environmental pioneer who founded Earth Day. Two. Wangarai Matai, the environmental and political activist whose focus on literally planting trees made her truly worthy of the 2004 Nobel Peace Prize. 3. Former Governor Jerry Brown of California, the climate change ambassador who led US efforts to implement the provisions of the Paris Climate Accord despite its failure to ratify. And 4. Professor Bjorn Lomborg, author and environmental activist whose TED Talk, Global Priorities Bigger Than Climate Change, is to Al Gore's film An Inconvenient Truth what the Encyclopedia Britannica is to the Holy Bible. Still, you'd think Earth's manifestability to save itself would both humble and comfort its self-appointed and meddlesome guardians. Indeed, imagine how much more livable our planet would be today if, instead of their quixotic and feckless fight against climate change, they had spent the past 50 years fighting to lift people out of poverty in places like Latin America and Africa. You know, the way the Chinese did with hundreds of millions in China. That brings me to this year's Leaders' Summit on Climate, which President Biden convened a week ago today to mark Earth Day 2021. You're wondering why the delay, naturally. Well, I am blaming it on Derek Chauvin. He, of course, is the white cop who was finally convicted last week, on all counts, for murdering George Floyd so infamously. Truth be told, the CO2 emitted when the whole world breathed a collective sigh of relief was such that celebrating Earth Day in the midst of that struck me as tantamount to sunbathing in the midst of a hurricane. Yet, there was Biden and 40 other world leaders blowing more hot air, among other things, about reducing emissions to limit climate change to 1.5 degrees Celsius, creating jobs by transitioning to a clean energy economy, and mobilizing public and private sectors to help poor countries cope with climate impacts. Granted, the objectives they laid out are commendable. The problem is that they are all too similar to the objectives their predecessors laid out for the Kyoto Protocol in the early 1990s. President Bill Clinton even signed that agreement in 1998 to no avail. The Senate refused to ratify it, citing potential damage to the economy. This, of course, 
is the very reason every country has cited, and will likely continue to cite, for non-compliance with every climate change agreement. But my bleeding liberal heart laments the way leaders of rich countries continually champion efforts to help poor countries cope instead of championing efforts to help them thrive. Anyway, like every other summit, I fear this one will only exacerbate the climate crisis by emitting more CO2. In fact, China has already indicated that hell will freeze over before it complies with any accord to reduce carbon emissions that impacts its economic growth. It appears Chinese President Xi Jinping was still smarting from Western censure over China's genocidal treatment of Uyghurs, because, in a televised address, he railed against powerful countries bossing others around and meddling in their internal affairs. More to the point, he insisted that China will address the climate crisis on its own terms. Evidently, Russian President Vladimir Putin is not the only totalitarian leader who projects and gaslights to deflect. <laughs> After all, China clearly has no compunction about bossing others around and meddling in their internal affairs. South Africa found this out in September 2011, when it dared to invite the Dalai Lama to attend the 80th birthday celebration of fellow Nobel Peace Laureate Desmond Tutu. So world beware. China is not only bossy and meddlesome, it's petty-minded too. In fact, fear of China's vindictiveness is such that, to this day, no developing country would dare invite the Dalai Lama to visit for any purpose, no matter how benign. And that only hints at the bossing around and meddling that portend. If China wields the kind of power and influence throughout this 21st century that America wielded throughout the 20th. As for Xi's shot across Biden's bow, one of my favorite analogies comes to mind. Because combating climate change on your own terms is rather like swimming in a public pool that allows peeing only in the deep end. The point is that, past being prologue, getting each country to ratify any agreement, to say nothing of getting each to abide by its terms, will eventually devolve into a terminal winter of petty foggery. In fact, as it was with the Kyoto Protocol, we are witnessing this right now with the Paris Agreement, which provoked me to vent my abiding cynicism in Paris talks on climate change to avert an apocalypse? Hardly. On December 2, 2015. But the following, about governments making pledges, might put my take on their pledges to reduce carbon emissions into perspective. It's from 
Haiti's Catastrophic Earthquake on January 14, 2010. And I quote, As pledges in the wake of the Indonesian tsunami proved, governments that rush for the limelight to make grand pledges of financial aid often hide in the shadows when it comes to honouring them. End quote. Uh, forgive me, but this compels me to jump back into my pee-in-the-pool analogy, because developed countries spent most of the 20th century blowing hot air about implementing poverty alleviation programs in developing countries. Yet, there can be no greater testament to their failure than the migration crises I mentioned earlier, which are besetting North America and Europe. This is why, when it comes to doing what is best for the planet, I will see AOC her Green New Deal and raise her conditions-based investments in poor Latin American, African and Asian countries to finally ensure sustainable economic development and stable political governance. Because, apropos of the unavoidable flow my analogy suggests, it is demonstrably foolhardy for people in rich countries to bound into the 21st century with all of their new green technologies and expect people in poor countries to stay fossilized in feudal-style poverty that harkens back to the 19th century. At the risk of belaboring the point, much was made of COVID causing food insecurity, even in America. So much so that millions had to wait on bread lines for the first time in their lives. But little is being made of what Al Jazeera reported on Saturday is the near total disappearance of food sources in places like Madagascar, having nothing at all to do with COVID. This has people scavenging for dry leaves and locusts to eat, just to stay alive. So I hope they'd be forgiven if vegetation is the only Green New Deal that would be of any interest to them. That said, did you happen to catch the April 21 report on the NBC Nightly News on the environmental degradation the war America waged in Syria caused? Really, what did the purportedly environmentally conscious United States think was going to happen when it began carpet-bombing Syrian oil refineries in a myopic effort to deny ISIS? access to oil revenues. Well, the so-called collateral damage from oil waste didn't just ruin soil and vegetation as far as the eyes could see, but also caused cancers the eyes couldn't. Cancers, alas, that are now rearing their terminal heads. And so what are we to make of Biden? lecturing the world on environmental protection. This, after sitting by as President Obama ordered an environmental tragedy, 
that made the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill he condemned so self-righteously look like spilled milk. Imperial hypocrisy like this only hints at why the developing world rolls its collective eyes when America talks about environmental protection. Ultimately, though, we need only analogize America's failure to combat gun violence to understand the world's failure to combat climate change. And I can do this with five simple points. One, everyone bemoans it as an existential crisis. Two, those seriously engaged in the fight keep sounding alarms whenever a new tragedy reminds us of this crisis. Three, everyone knows what measures need to be taken to avert this crisis. Four, far too many politicians are more vested in the short-term economic benefits of doing nothing than in the long-term environmental benefits of implementing change. And five, just as mass shootings and gun crimes have not moved America to take combating gun violence seriously, oil spills and nuclear accidents have not moved the world to take combating climate change seriously either. And so we await our doom, which might come suddenly from gun violence or slowly from climate change. Uh, that's it, and if you liked it, please subscribe. It's free. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.